Good. Got a clap over here. That's good. Yeah, very nice. Welcome to the service today. I love being in a generous church, and you all are generous, and that blesses me a great deal. Uh, we just uh, served another village this week in Burkina Faso. There are now 500,000 people in our beloved Burkina that have had to uh, leave their village and escape uh Radical persecution, and we covered another about 350 to 500. I don't have the exact data of uh, people that received food from y'all this week. Over, it's kind of fun feeding people across the ocean. Shout out to all of you! But we also did our blessing boxes this last week. That was a fun opportunity. We send boxes of holiday cheer. Some people it's Thanksgiving and some people it's Christmas, but we send those out to pastors in our villages of Alaska. And we just received your blessing box in the mail today. We were blown away absolutely by your generosity and love. We'll wrap what you sent uh, their son and give it to him for Christmas. He is going to be thrilled. Uh, The gifts are spot on. Not only did you all supply our son with beautiful, fun gifts, but you also showered our baby who will make an appearance in February with all kinds of wonderful things. Whoever took the time to make the baby blanket, thank you. Each item is amazing. I hadn't shared with anyone the fact that I was struggling with the fact that I'm expected to make a ton of cookies to give to the senior center from our own food supply. But I've been thinking about it and praying about it. So the gift of all the baking supplies is not only very timely, but appreciated and a huge blessing. Please thank all the ladies and families who made it possible for us to receive such a great blessing today. Y'all absolutely made our day. I don't know that I can convey to you how special it made us feel. That's the goal of giving right there, to bless people. So uh, thank you to all you that went to the store and bought things, and uh, what a great privilege that is. Lord, today as we give our offerings to you, we thank you that uh, you bless and prosper us in a variety of ways. We ask that as we return the offering and the tithe, you would be pleased with our lives, we would be faithful with our lives, and that you would uh, bring more into our lives, that we can do more for those in the future. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So God bless you as you give the tithe and the offerings today. We're in a series called Excel, the Grace of Giving, which has really been a whole lot of fun for me to study. I hope that you are in the accelerate mode. Uh, Get it? That's not accelerate with an A, but with an E, that we are excelling and doing well, uh, doing great to the glory of the Lord. To excel is to superabound. It's to be over and above. It's to exceed the ordinary. It's to go beyond the expected, and it's to surpass. Uh, we want you to have that in the grace of God. We want you to excel in that grace of giving. Uh, we're talking not mo- about money, although this is the offering time. We're talking about excel in giving some other stuff. And the first lesson was excel in the grace of giving life. Uh, That everywhere you go, you want people to feel more alive. You want there to be a sense of livingness in your encounters. And it's truly a delight to give life. And I'm thankful to the people that delivered God's life to me. Um, basically, that was my mom and dad. I'm thankful for the life that they've given to me in Christ, the life they've given me in the natural. It's fantastic. 
But to excel is to exceed the ordinary. And so wherever you are in your life, in the area, uh, what we'll be talking about today is faith. Excel in the grace of giving faith. So wherever you are in your faith life, the goal is that after coming together in the group, you go home with more faith. Uh, Pastor Faye and I talked a little between services and she said, you know, I was talking to someone and they said, you know what, that was awesome because I was low in faith today. And we want you to, we want your faith to be increased. We don't want it to be average. We don't want it to be wherever. We want it to be exceeding the ordinary for you. So one guy's faith is, I need faith to get out of bed today. The day is too heavy for me. I need faith just to get out of bed today. Somebody else, they're asking God for faith for a a big project. They're asking God for faith to endure this or the other thing and to exceed the ordinary, to go beyond and to go into that land of uh, greatness is what we're about in this uh, talk today of excelling in the grace of giving faith. We're using the most simple terms about what grace is. I'm pretty sure you could get enough books to fill up a whole library of books just on grace. And so I'm not going into detail on grace. I am going into the idea that grace is simply receiving what one does not deserve. Grace is receiving what someone does not deserve. In this case... We have received life, we have received grace, we have received... Like, grace is a grace. I don't deserve grace, so grace itself is a grace. Uh, Being able to receive God's grace, being able to receive His mercy. I want to feature a word in Jude uh, today. It says, we are to excel in the grace of building one another up. I want you to get that sense of up. Uh, uh, you might bump into some people and you get a strong sense of down, right? Uh, or you have something in your life that brings you down. Uh, that, that's, that's a common experience and it's uh, normal. But when you come together, you're coming together with people that don't do that. They co- you come together, they build you up. How about you say up with me? Up! Doesn't that feel better than down? And, uh, and we, want, we want your faith to be up. We want your joy to be up. We want your marriage to do well. We want your parenting to do well. We want, we want all of that. So grace is God giving you uh, what you don't deserve. It's just his grace to give you an up uh, kind of deal. Mercy is when you don't receive what you do deserve. These are big terms, but we're just using them for this series. And uh, did anybody, God, ever protect you from what you actually deserved? You know what I'm saying? Uh, it is nice when God gives his mercy and God gives his grace. And both of those are really an up kind of thing. They're, 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 uh, they're depression busters. They're anxiety calmers. They're, they're, they're uh, fear removers. They're good for us in every way that we would be able to build ourselves up. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So however you leave here in just a little while, we want you to leave up. And uh, if, you, if you're kind of medium down, uh, medium up, high up, we want you to go even more. Uh, we want you filled with life. We want you to be able to go out and give that grace of, of faith to other people. Now, if you're a theologian, you're saying to me, but you can't give faith. And that's accurate. 
I don't have any faith to give you. Faith comes from God. Uh, For by grace are you saved, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. So God gives grace and God gives faith. However, have you ever been around this God-given faith and you needed somebody to pick you up? You know what I'm saying? You needed somebody to say, you can do this. You got another, you got another round in you. You, you can hang in there and it's going to be okay. And, and they speak a word of faith into your life. And I'm not talking really about saving faith. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that experience of your faith in God, that, that experience of the Christian faith, uh, the, the faith that we all have in Christ, who Jesus is. Our text is, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jude 17 through 23. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, twice he says beloved, he wants you to know we're going to build our faith together and we need to remember that we're beloved by God. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude starts off by saying, all right, here's the deal. Uh, we're a young church. Uh, uh, we just got this thing rolling. So uh, Jude, who's Jude's brother? Jude's brother is James. And that's how he's known in the Bible. Jude, the brother of James. There's only one James in the Bible that can go by James. All the others need something added to it. And so James is the brother of Jesus. Jude is the brother of James. So Jude is Jesus' brother. Now, I'm proud of my brother. He is, he's worked 48 years or something like that on the railroad, and he's now number one in engine services. Uh, he's been there longer than anybody. And so my brother is like, is like, he's been, I don't know if he's any good, but I do know that he's been there a long time, you know? And so. Uh, that's Warren, right? It's so all like, hey, my brother is an engineer and a brakeman conductor on the railroad. But Jude could go like, hey, my brother's God. <laughs> you know? It's like, who's your brother? Oh, it's Jesus. And, uh, and it's pretty cool. So he's saying, you know what? We're a young church and we've been, we've been Jews and we follow Judaism, but my brother came along. He's fully God and fully man. And he came along and now there's this whole new thing going, but there's no no theology yet. There's no Bible schools. There's no theology you can study. And so people just started teaching all kinds of stuff. I mean, uh, all kinds of weird things were being taught. Uh, and I, I don't even know what they all are, but it was heresy actually. And, and it was, uh, uh, really wicked. Before this, there's a list of what these teachers are like. And Jude is not very patient with these teachers. And so he's saying, remember the prophecies that inside we're going to come some false teachers. And uh, these false teachers had gained influence by Jude's time. The parallel passage is Peter chapter 2. And in Peter chapter 2, Peter says, In the end days, scoffers and false teachers will come. 
In Jude, it says they're here. Right? So Peter was written before Jude, and Peter says, you know what? They're coming. And Jude says, they have arrived. They, they have gained influence in uh, the local church. And so this was of great concern to Jude. He says, beloved, this is the third beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. He's like, you know what? I want to write to you about salvation. It's really cool. Being saved is awesome. I want to write you about salvation. But I found it necessary not to write about salvation, but I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So here we see a second time, this is before, this is verses 3 and 4, I want you to contend for the faith. So I'm studying this yesterday, uh, getting ready, it means to, and uh, I'm reading the book, it says contend in the Greek, it it means to like be on an athletic field, or an illustration would be uh, fighting for all your might in an athletic field. And I look up, and Boise State has fumbled. And like there's this little wide receiver about this big and he's trying to get on the ball and there's like a hundred, eight hundred pound guys all diving on him trying to get the ball. And I thought this is exactly the, the kind of the hint. The hint that uh, is being made here by Jude is that the faith that has been given by God through the apostles, that faith is already set. It's there. It's given to you. And now all kinds of stuff is going to come against that faith. And your job is to dive on that faith like a loose ball in the Boise State game. And you contend to have that. You contend to hold on to that faith. You fight with all your might to hold on to that faith. I bet you you've been there, maybe not uh, your saving faith, but you've probably been there when it's like Satan himself is in your face and you smell his sulfur breath and he's kind of saying like, you know what, you're going to die, you're not going to live, you're not going to make it, you have no faith. And uh, you go, you know what, I'm going to fight for my faith. Some of you are doing that for your spouse. Some of you, your husband isn't there, your wife isn't there, and you're saying, you know what, I hear what you're saying. My family will never be a harmonious Christian family, but I'm contending for my faith in my family. I'm I'm fighting for my grandbaby. I'm fighting for my family. Yeah, he says, get in there and contend for the faith. Fight for that thing. Interestingly enough, he said about these teachers, four things that you don't really want said about you. He says in this passage, they are designated for condemnation. They are under the judgment of God. Under the judgment of God. Number two, they are degraded in character and conduct. They're teaching, but they're ungodly people. This one, I think, is a deal in America today. Number three, it says they twist God's grace into a license for sin. Or in the words of the ESV, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. I didn't have the guts to do that because I haven't studied it enough, but I was going to give it a title, perverted grace. Grace that just says, live any way you want, be anything you want, don't worry about the faith, just if you're happy, I'm happy, go for it. He said, you know what, these 
teachers that twist the grace of God into a license to sin, they're under judgment, they're degraded in character, and number four, they deny that Jesus Christ is Master and Lord. These are some pretty bad raps on uh, on some teachers that were getting into the teaching system of the church, and and Jude's concerned about that. He said, you know, with that going on, we better get together and build up our faith. In this kind of reality, we are urged to fight with all our strength for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. I think this is sort of how it rolls. I think that the faith delivered once for all by the apostles gets a little monotonous after 2,000 years. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, you know, you can say that, some of you, in your sleep. You have it memorized. So you need to add a little twist to it to sell your book. You know, if you're going to like, you're going to like get big money out of selling your book or you want people to listen, you can't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Pastor Prevo can say that and Pastor Williams can say that and past, and, you know, no, I need a little twist on it. Well, after 2,000 years, a little twist, we get a mixed up thing. You see what I'm saying? I mean, uh, it just is, it's just a way that, that we feel the pressure to bring in the crowd. We feel the pressure to say, you know what, uh, how many, how many people are in the seats and how many people are going rather than to say, you know what's more important than how many people are in the seats is, is God in the house? And if God is in the house, are you being strong in holding on to your faith? Amen. To hold, fight with all your strength for faith. Fight with all your strength for faith. I think it's so important not to think that we can add. This is a, a little illustration that works for me. If you could have one of the early computers, or I have an iPhone 11. Uh, man, this is awesome. I had a 6. You know what I'm saying? 666 six, six was my former phone, and it stopped working. And now I have an iPhone 11. This will do more than the IBM computer back in the early days would do. So when it is material... You want it as far away from when it was created as you can get. You understand what I'm saying? You don't want an early computer. You want as far away from the beginning as you can get. You want the latest greatest. Right? But when you're eating a living fruit, you don't want a living item to be as far away as you can get. You want it fresh off the tree. Are you tracking with me? Hi, here's a banana. It's 18 years old. You know what I'm saying? Woo! I love old things. No, you want a new banana. The work of God in the church was living. You want it just the way he did it in the book of Acts. I got an amen. We want it just the way he did it in the book of Acts. The structures of the church, we want them new. You see what I'm saying? We want that, we want that new. But the, the thing that gives it life, we want it just the way it came back. Well, to, uh, it kind of bugs me that we think we could improve on Acts. 
well, I'll tell you, we're going to really do a better job than, uh, than uh, Paul, or we're going to do a better job than Peter. No, those dudes were right there at the foundation. They had it right. We want to go back to what they had. They wish they had buildings like this. They wish they had video projectors. I don't know about that. They wish, uh, but the fact is, he's saying in here, you got to contend for the faith that was original. You contend for that original faith. And so uh, we've had a little bit of confusion for some people on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the Apostles' Creed is a great creed, and it's, it's called the Apostles' Creed because they believe that's what the apostles taught. They didn't write that creed. That creed came in about uh, 500 A.D. or so. No, it came... Be, uh, yeah, anyways. So the Apostles' Creed, the line that some people have trouble with is, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And people say, you know, uh, I'm not Catholic. I don't want to say on a weekend, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I understand that. However, that was written before the Catholic Church existed. And so uh, it was basically meaning, I believe in God's church around the world. Uh, and so I decided uh, maybe we should go back to the very first creed that we have that's ever been written. The first written creed of Christianity is called the Early Roman Creed. And it says this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh, and life everlasting. Now we don't know if this is true, but this is, this part is true. We just don't know if he got it right. In 391 AD, a guy named Tyrannius Rufinus, how would you like to have that name? Anyways, uh, we'll call him Ty for short. Anyways, he said in 391 AD that the apostles wrote this creed after Pentecost and before they went into all the world to preach the gospel. And so we're here today, and I hope you get all fired up about this, that, or the other thing. That would be awesome because our text today says we are building ourselves up. At the same time, we got to understand that we're building ourselves up on a sentence like that. We are building ourselves up on God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're building ourselves up on Christ Jesus, his only son. We are up on the Holy Spirit. We are up on the ascension, the death, the burial. We are up on God sitting, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. We are up on these things, but it's a foundation and we're to build ourselves on that. And so we, you know, we can do like uh, on Sundays, well, let's pick something that we need help with. Uh, uh, 10 reasons to exercise, right? And we all need that. I'm up here seeing it wouldn't hurt any of us to have a lecture on 10 reasons we exercise. And that's a good thing to do somewhere. But on this day, when we come together as the gathered people of God, uh, uh, in about 20 minutes, we'll be the scattered people of God. We're about to scatter you all over, wherever it is you go, to excel in the grace of giving faith. Right now we're gathered. 
And when we're the gathered body of Christ, we need to remind ourselves we are gathered together to build each other up on that foundation of that faith that we're talking about. You'll be eternally okay if you're out of shape. But you won't be eternally okay if you're out of faith. You understand what I'm trying to say. And so here we come together today, someone needing faith to make it, somebody needing faith to hang in there, someone needing faith for a a reminder that God is able, somebody here today might be in the most disappointed state of your life. In all of your life, you've never been this disappointed, and we're here to help build up your faith. Somebody here might be in the greatest pain of their life, we're here to help build up your faith. You might be in the greatest season of ease. I mean, everything is rolling your way. We're here to build up your faith. Praise God. You see, because in this text, we have the false teaching on the inside. And we have persecution on the outside. And one of the reasons, uh, I had already planned this series, but one of the reasons I picked this text is because last Sunday, I said to you, when the U.S. killed Baghdadi in Syria, Baghdadi said, we can't hit, uh, uh, Baghdadi didn't say, ISIS said, we can't hit uh, the U.S., but we are in Africa. And do you remember last Sunday, we prayed for Burkina Faso? That next day, they killed 37 people with 60 wounded. It was a high-planned attack. The military escort of the buses going to the gold mine, the first, the bomb took out the, the military cover, and the terrorists jumped out, and the people were in their buses, and they just fired away. They killed 37 people, and 60 others have been shot. So why do I bring that up today? Because our pastor in in Burkina Faso named Philippe Yamiogo spent most of last week bringing comfort and care to the family members who lost a loved one. I talked to him yesterday and I said, how you doing, Philippe? And he said it in his own inimitable way. We're kind of down over here. We know, we know that, that they go after public meetings. And we've been in the newspaper as a church doing all this great to even come to church. Big G's. We've been, we're highlighted. He said, our people are afraid to even come to church because they know that these guys are going to target big groups and a Christian group is a big target. And I said, Brother Philippe, I got good news for you. Tomorrow, a bunch, 11 services at MCA Church in Anchorage are going to be getting together. And when we get together, we are going to be praying that God helps you build yourself up in your most holy faith. You're not alone. You're not in this by yourself. We are a family. And the Bible says there are false teaching within and there's persecution without. We're going to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. Amen. Well, on Saturday, last Saturday, didn't even make the news. They killed 10 Christians out there. So in just this illustration on that I know about, on Saturday and Monday of last week is 47 deaths. So when you start to think about your brothers and sisters around the world, you realize it's super important that we just say, we are going to do what Jude said, and we're going to give our very, very best to help you build your faith up. Praise God. It says build yourselves up. Four things in this passage. Build yourselves up. Number two is pray in the spirit. Praise God. How do you build yourself up? 
You build yourself up by praying in the Spirit. Now, scholars are divided, and I'm not a scholar, so I vote. We're all of them. That's how I roll. Scholars are divided. Pray in the Spirit means pray in the guidance of the Spirit, pray in the life of the Spirit. It means pray in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're getting that kind of rolling in your Christian life. You'll just be minding your own business, and you'll just start praying for something. That's probably the Holy Spirit. And uh, so you're just praying and all of a sudden somebody's name pops in and you begin to pray for them. That's sort of what it means. Pray in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pray in the, the, the wisdom of the Spirit. Pray into the urgency of the Holy Spirit. But other scholars say it means pray in your heavenly prayer language that has been given to you by the Holy Spirit. In other words, pray in tongues. Pray in, pray in the Spirit. And I, I don't think anybody is wise enough to dissect between the two. And I suggest that it means both. I suggest that it means pray in the Spirit, pray under His guidance, pray under His anointing. It also means that when you're in prayer and God begins to speak through you in your heavenly language, pray in the Spirit. Because I don't, I don't, this is, uh, this is man-made by Kent, okay? So don't, don't hold me to this. I think the devil speaks English. But I don't think he speaks tongues. So when you're praying in the spirit, he's going, what's he asking for? I can't plan my counterattack. I can't understand what he's saying. And we're going, that's right. The Holy Spirit gave us a language that's from us to the God above and it's flowing in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. That's how we build ourselves up. That's how we build one another up. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Number two, number three. Does God love everybody? Again, does God love everybody? Then why does he say, stay in the love of God? He says, stay in the love of God, because you can get to a place, especially if you're a false teacher, you can get to the place that you cannot sense the love of God. One commentator called it this, you become unconscious to the God who loves you. And it's entirely possible, I am Kent and I know God loves me. But I can live my life in such a way that I totally eradicate my awareness and my experience of the love of God. And so the idea, uh, I see Chaplin here, he's a Greek expert. It's objective or subjective genitive. One, love of God means my love toward God. And most people think that's not what this passage means. It means the love of God, God's love of me. And it means don't just, don't just live your life in such a way that you're out of a sense of the love of God. We're building ourselves up and we gotta stay in obedience and righteousness and, and faithfulness to God so that we have a sense, I'm loved by God. Say it with me. I'm loved by God. Stay there. Stay there. Philippe, if they walk in with an M16 and they say, uh, Allahu Akbar, remember, God loves you, buddy. Stay in the love of God. Stay in the love of God. And then wait. That's a tough word right there. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yesterday, there was a women's conference. We loaned our building out to a women's conference, and they had a great conference. And 
Uh, I was looking at Rebecca Wetzler in the back selling a book she wrote. Rebecca Wetzler, you probably don't know her. She's uh, not here very often. But you know her son, Justin Wetzler, one of our worship leaders, Justin Wetzler. I said, how are you feeling? She goes, not good. Uh, For 30 years, without stop, Rebecca Wetzler has had migraines. Can you imagine that? 30 years. I've heard of, I've never had a migraine. Uh, And I get a little headache. It wipes me out. I can't imagine a migraine. But most people have a migraine for a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. Can you imagine a migraine headache for 30 years? And so she says, you know, I'm saying to her in my mind in this sermon, you know what, Rebecca, we're here to build you up in the midst of 30 years of pain. Build yourselves up. Stay in the love of God. But sometimes you got to wait. When Danae was born, our youngest daughter, Paula began to hurt. Her toes hurt. Her eyes hurt. Her skin hurt. Her bones hurt. Like that. And, and we wait. Heart hurt. And at first it's like, okay, we'll get through this and we'll fight that. And, and we waited and we waited and we waited. In fact, Danae is 20. We waited 19 years. She couldn't come because people would, sounds hurt. You know, when you really hurt, sounds hurt. People touching you hurt. All this kind of happens. And uh, and sometimes you settle in for the long haul. Okay, Paula, I'll be the husband of a wife who hurts, and you're going to be a woman who hurts until heaven. You just settle in. Okay, God, I guess it's just going to have to wait. Sometimes God interrupts the wait with a miracle. And about a year ago, Paula goes, hey, I'm feeling good, better. I'm like, pardon me? I'm feeling better. I'm thinking better. Better is good. And she goes, oh, I think last week, for the first time, she said, I'm feeling good. Right? So sometimes you got that long, long, long wait. And somebody here, you're in the middle of the wait. You are like in God's waiting room. And you're like, how long, oh God? I went to Auschwitz. Auschwitz is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And Hitler and his people turned it into a killing field. It's absolutely horrendous what happened there. But the trees are beautiful. The the grass is beautiful. Poland is beautiful. It's amazing. And can you imagine, there you are in Auschwitz. And you're saying, you know what, God, I'm in Hitler's Auschwitz. and, And it's really tough right now. We're not worried about false teaching on the inside. We're worried right now about persecution on the outside. You need somebody to step into there and build your faith and pray and keep you in the love of God. And then you wait. And sometimes that wait seems unbearable. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the word of the Lord is that I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you're waiting, you're not alone. Even if you can't feel him, he is there. You remember, I don't know why this popped in my head. You remember the poem, uh, uh, footprints in the sand and, uh, and, uh, and like two foot, two pairs of footprints. And then there's only one pair and you say, God, uh, you were walking with me. Where'd you go? He goes, Oh, that's where I'm carrying you. Right. You familiar with that poem? Well, there's another version that says, what are those drag marks there? And God said, that's where I had to drag you. And, uh, you know, you're not alone, brothers and sisters. If you're in the wait, he's going to be faithful to you.
Amen. He has never not been faithful. In the midst of the wait, hold on. I was driving down the road somewhere. I don't remember where. The radio was on, and I heard a preacher. He's just preaching up a storm. And he, you know how sometimes you get going, you, one God said, you know, those kind of preachers. And he was going for it. And God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. That's pretty good. If you're in the wait, hold on to Jesus. Yeah, why? Because he got hold of you. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I am in his grip and he is in my grip. He isn't letting go. I'm not letting go even in the long, long wait. Build yourselves up in the wait. I just saw Elsa. Elsa, your healing's on the way. You've been waiting over two years, I think. You had surgery and everything fell apart and got worse. But we're here to build up you in your most holy faith, sister. In the wait, God is coming to you. Praise God. Praise God. All right. After you build yourself up, you're going to bump into three kinds of people, Jude says. This is pretty interesting. Your faith is built up and you bump into a sincere doubter. You bump into a sincere doubter. Or secondly, you bump into a committed error. Thirdly, you bump into confirmed sin. This is really important and I want you to grab a hold of it. Right here today, listening to me are some really good people many of whom have placed their, their faith in Christ. And some of you, you're just like interested. You're sincere, but you doubt. You're like, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. I'm, I'm okay with that, but I'm not sure. The Bible says that when you're building yourself up in your most holy faith, there will be some sincere doubters around. And the way you respond to a sincere doubter is you show mercy and you lead gently to the truth. So if you're here today and, and you're sort of like sincere, my, my buddy calls it window shopping Jesus. If you are window shopping Jesus today and you're like, I don't know if I want to buy, but I, I'm interested in that, that, that Jesus in the window. Que mucho es Pedro en la ventana. How much is that doggy in the window? Uh, I'm in a, you know, we're supposed to treat you gently and mercifully. Thank you for being here, you sincere doubter. The next group, they're wrong, they know they're wrong, and they're sort of committed to it. And it's like they're, it's like they're a log in a fire. In fact, just before this, it says about the fire in Jude, it says the fire of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's, it's like an eternal fire type deal. And you're sort of rolling in this thing and, and you know, you know who God is and you know that, but, but you're, you're pretty much, uh, committed to your error. In Jude's illustration, you already have your feet in eternal fire. It's off of Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2 or chapter 2 verse 3. I forget right now. It talks about Israel is turned from God and the branch is already in the fire. And he said, you know what? You don't gently lead that group. That group that's already got their feet in the fire. You don't gently lead them. You snatch them from the flame. One commentator says with force. 
to like not encourage your people that you're building your faith up and they come in to sort of, sort of like not encourage your faith or they don't have faith themselves. They're committed to error. And Jude says, you know what? This is a little different kind of mercy. It's still mercy, but it's a little different mercy. You tackle that and you snatch them from the fire. Uh, my dad had a preacher years ago back at First Assembly. Uh, his name was um, Dr. Dobbins. Dr. Dobbins. And he did psychological teaching. And it was okay for a 16-year-old to hear. But I didn't really track with it. And and uh, I, just, I just didn't, you know, he wasn't like my favorite speaker we ever had. And then years later, I, I heard him speak. And it changed everything for me. He said this. My wife was mentally ill. I'm a pastor. I have a wife with mental illness, and her mental illness led towards suicidal ideations. I never knew when I came home if my wife would be alive or not. He said, we're walking down the street. I'd go to, well, before that, he said, I'd go to churches and ask for help, and everybody say, we'll pray for you. He goes, and we needed prayer, but we needed more than prayer. We needed somebody to help my wife who was in trouble. But it didn't exist. He said, we're walking down the street, and all of a sudden, I noticed my wife was getting ready to jump in front of a bus. He said, so I tackled my wife. He said, I'm laying in a mud puddle on the ground, holding on to my wife so she couldn't jump in front of a bus and die. He said, that day, I decided to give the rest of my life to mental health for pastors. What am I suggesting? I'm suggesting some days you can gently lead somebody and some days you got to tackle them to keep them from hurting themselves. You understand, you understand the idea? Number three, he said, you're not only just sincere doubter committed to error, but you are, you're like an evangelist for your sin. I mean, you're like a radical sinner. You're, you're like committed to this. And everywhere you go, you want to bring destruction of your sin. He said, to this group, you offer pity. And you have to be aware and afraid that getting too involved without wisdom, you get defiled. If you read like King James, it says, and even hate the flesh that is defiled. So one response is, I'll gently lead you. The other response is, I'll tackle you and, and snatch you from the fire. A third response is, i got to be really careful how I do this because you intend to ruin me. You intend to get some of the infection of sin off of you onto me. The idea of defiled comes out of the Old Testament. A priest would wear underclothes uh, that covered their whole body. And the idea is that if they had leprosy, that clothing would become defiled. And there was a special way to treat the undergarment that could have leprosy so that you didn't get leprosy. You see, you see how wise that is? Thank God for medical wisdom before medicine was really even invented. But the fact is, you know what Jude said? Certain people, when you get around them, they're not gently wanting you to lead them in mercy. They're not the kind of person you can snatch from the fire. This kind of person, you have to be really thoughtful about how you share your pity and your mercy because, in fact, they are intentionally intending 
your demise. And as you think about that and look at the American church today, the pressure on me as a pastor is view everybody as a sincere doubter. We want you to have happy message. We want you to go home and, and love Jesus. We want you to know it's a grace, grace, grace. We want you to go out. And the fact is most people listening to me today are either saved or you're a sincere doubter. That's most of you. Some of you, you're already in the fire. We need to tackle you. Every once in a while, we have people who come that are really bad for us. And we need to protect that. An illustration. Uh, it was Thanksgiving several years ago. And a guy came to volunteer. And, and we're like, okay, we have rules about who can volunteer. But he volunteered. And Michael Rue came up to me. He said, hey, you see that dude? I said, yeah, he's hitting on our girls. I said, oh, really? I didn't notice. I said, all right. I said, hey, dude, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just loving people. And, and my buddy thinks you're creepy. I can be blunt. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm not creepy. I said, well, what's your name? My name's Brock. I said, all right, thanks, Brock. He left. He was mad at me for calling him creepy. So I went to APD. I thought, if, if Michael Rue has the creeps, this must have some Holy Ghost in it. So I go to APD, I go, I, I met this guy, he's kind of creepy. And they go, I am, whatever. You're kind of creepy, coming here and talking about creepy people. <laughs> What's his name? I said, his name is Brock. Whatever. Out comes a guy, Brock, he leaves. He goes into the computer, types in his name. Wham! All these policemen come out. Where is he? He was a really bad guy. He was an internet predator from Colorado that came to Alaska. He came to our Thanksgiving because he was looking for girls here. That He was a Juilliard graduated musician. And he was an internet predator. And the police, uh, the FBI came. I mean, it's a big deal. And they like shook my hand. Congratulations, Pastor, on catching such a bad guy and all this kind of stuff. And they looked at our system. You used to go into the children's ministry and sign in in there. You didn't have to stand in the hall. They go, that is perfect. If the guy's not bad, but if he's bad, you already let him in the room. So the FBI, because he is confronted here. My point is, he's not welcome to come here because he is confirmed in his sin and he is seeking to hurt your kid. I got an amen. This is the scary part of my sermon. Amen. Go hurt somebody else's kids. I'm the shepherd of these. And as long as I live, they're going to be safe. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that's theory for us. Over 500 people in our Burkina church used to be Muslims before they came to Christ. So it's Sunday morning, let's say, and Pastor Philippe's preaching, and in walks a new Muslim he's never seen before. I wonder if that guy is coming to kill us. They killed 37 last week. They killed 10 the week before. Is he coming to kill us? This is why you pray in the Spirit. Because you need the Holy Spirit to lead you on how, is that guy a sincere doubter? Is that guy in the second category? Or is that guy in the third? Do you understand what I'm talking about? You need the leadership of the Holy Spirit to be able to know this. I'll close with this. Into our circle of influence every week. This is the coolest thing. I love it. And I hope you do too. I love this about Malden Community Assembly. Every week in this building, 
we have Buddhists coming to find out about Jesus. I love it. You know, every week, not mostly in this room, but every week in youth ministry, we have Muslim kids coming to hear about Jesus. Right on the other side of our building, up the street a little ways, is Habitat for Humanity Project, and a lot of Muslims live there. And so their kids, without kind of getting the condemnation of their system, they sneak over to our youth ministry. Every week we have Buddhists. Every week we have Muslims. Muslim is a, is a culture. Islam is the religion. So every week we have Islamists. And right now, a funny thing, I, on Wednesday night, an atheist comes. Every Wednesday night, we have an atheist. And he laughs at half of what I say, and he listens to the other half. An atheist. We have secularism that people come and secularism is, I'm, I'm indifferent to religion. I reject and exclude all religion. It's kind of the religion of Europe right now is secularism. And these people are coming to our church. And thank you. If you're one of these people, welcome to Maldon Community Assembly. And God has to help us decide. Are you here because you're sincerely seeking? Are you here because you want to disrupt Do we need to gently lead you, tackle you, or be very afraid of you? It's really worth thinking about. The other day, I I should have asked you in between. Anyways, uh, I think it was Julie. Uh, There was a lady out in our parking lot, and she was doing some weird stuff, I understand. And uh, they went to her, and she said, I'm here to put a curse on this church. Uh, I'm a Satanist, and I've come to put a curse on this church. Like, bring her on. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Satan, the blood of the Lamb is against you. If you're a Satanist and you're here, and you're interested in following Jesus, welcome. If you're a Satanist and you're here, and you're trying to bring division and de- demonic activity, goodbye. You getting it? Jude says, you need to be mindful of these three kinds of people, groups that come. Praise God. And by the way, I have this in my heart about going to Islamic prayer meetings. It's not really right for me to recruit for Jesus people in their own prayer place. That's kind of not morally, ethically right. And so I'm asking God to give me, I don't want them doing that here, and they don't want me doing that there, and it's fair. It's a fair exchange in my estimation. So we must be willing And prepared to respond the way Jesus wants us to. I feel the Lord telling me to say this. I didn't want to say it. But I feel the Lord having me say this. Come on out, man, if you would. Somebody is dating an unbeliever. And you think the unbeliever is a sincere doubter. But they aren't. I don't know who that is or who that's for. But the Spirit is guiding me to say... That you think, I'll lead him or her to Christ. They're just a sincere doubter. But really, behind the scenes, there's a deeper uh, deal going on there than meets the eye. All in favor of receiving the word of the Lord, say aye. Aye. Here's how we're going to end. We'll go to the cross, pick up the bread and the cup, and then I'm going to ask you to ask at least two people, how can I build you up today? Let's practice, just in case you need to warm up.